What is going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Last night, crazy night in sports. You got a walk-off shot by Damian Lillard against the OKC Thunder to eliminate them from the playoffs. The San Jose Sharks mounting an unbelievable third-period comeback and then eventual overtime win against the Vegas Golden Knights. So a couple of elimination uh, elimination games. One was the San Jose Golden Knights game, of course, being Game 7. Also had the Bruins and Maple Leafs Game 7, which wasn't as close as the Vegas Golden Knights and San Jose Sharks. Uh, the Bruins kind of dominated that game. But a couple of Game 7s, a walk-off win for... Uh, I should say game-winning shot by Damian Lillard and a walk-off win for the Blazers to eliminate the Thunder. So the second round of the NHL, NHL playoffs is kind of starting to take form. There's another Game 7 tonight between the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Washington Capitals. NBA playoffs. The other day, I, I mentioned the OKC-Portland uh, game. And then a couple days ago and yesterday, a couple of other series-ending games that took place, including the Sixers routing the Nets, the Bucks routing the Pistons, and a couple other things. Yeah, let's get into that right now with the, the two playoffs, the NHL and NBA playoffs, and then we can get into some of the other news that's been circulating the media over the past week. But the NHL playoffs, as it stands, the second round is going to be the Stars against the St. Louis Blues, the San Jose Sharks against the Colorado Avalanche, the Boston Bruins against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and then I mentioned the other Game 7 that's happening tonight is the Capitals and the Hurricanes, and the winner of that series in the first round will go on to face the Islanders, who were the only team that swept. Uh, they were easily the most dominant team in the first round, in respect to their their matchup, swept the Penguins for nothing. So they've had a substantial amount of time off, considering how many games. Considering there were what three game sevens in the first round. So I like you. You think about it, it. You would want more time off if you sweep, right? You get the sweep, and then you have all this time off to rest and game plan for possible outcomes, yada, yada, yada. But sometimes in the playoffs, it's just about getting hot and staying hot. And when you have that much time off, sometimes you come back and you're just not as sharp as you were when you were fighting for your life in a seven-game series going all the way to game seven. It happens, I mean, I don't know how... Hockey, NHL playoff hockey is a, a different breed compared to other playoffs. But usually, you know, you see it in March Madness, in uh, baseball, in uh, the NFL playoffs. Usually the team that gets the team that gets hot, so baseball, the team's offense that gets the hottest in September, usually can ride that wave all the way to the World Series. Football, same thing. You saw, I mean, first thing, because I'm a Giants fan, the two Super Bowl runs that the Giants made, they just got hot really late in the season. They made, they got into the playoffs, and they didn't stop till they got to the Super Bowl and eventually won. 
So it's kind of a a double-edged sword. Like, yes, all your players get to rest up and any aches and pains that they had would probably be cured by the time first round comes. But with the Islanders, they've had like a week off already. So maybe even more, I don't know, uh, maybe even more than a week. But about a week off for the Islanders. So that definitely helps health-wise. But at the same time, that momentum might stall a little bit. Worst case scenario, maybe it doesn't. I guess we'll have to wait and see. So that's Sharks power play last night. Listen, I don't know much about hockey, but I feel very bad for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, he just looked like he he didn't know what to do. He was just getting... I mean, the entire Vegas Knights, they, they tried their best to kill the power play, but when it came to just the relentless offensive onslaught from the Sharks. I mean, Flurry, he looked, he was flustered, completely flustered. Uh, he seemed helpless. I don't blame him. I mean, first of all, that penalty was, the instant reactions were kind of like, that's kind of a soft penalty to give a five-minute major to. But then, afterwards, there were screen caps, you know, the slow motion clearly indicated he was, he was like out cold before he hit the ground. Um, and then, you got the picture of him laying on the ice with blood leaking through his helmet. So, when you see that, it kind of justifies the call. And then the Sharks just go full-on berserker mode. <laughs> it was... It was very, very interesting. Um, I saw the entirety of the power play this morning, not when it happened, uh, because I actually worked really late last night, so I was driving home, and when I got home, I was able to catch the overtime. So I saw the overtime, and I saw the uh, the game-winning goal from San Jose, but I didn't see the actual power play that allowed them to get back into it and take the lead. I did, however, see it this morning in its entirety, and it was... Like I said, just the the night seemed helpless. Flurry especially seemed helpless. I mean, the Knights' power play were doing the best they can. The other playoffs now, the NBA playoffs, which I know a significant more about. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to keep the hockey talk in there, man. It is enjoy enjoyable to watch, no doubt. It is very very intense, and hockey has this thing where. Seating, it doesn't, seating does not mean shit in NHL hockey. That's what I really learned from watching it last year and watching it this year is that seating really doesn't mean shit. You had the Vegas Golden Knights last year who, I mean, yeah, they had a great regular season, but they're an expansion team. So to make the, the cup is absolutely insane. And then this year, of course, the Lightning tying for the, I think, what was it the most wins? in NHL history, and then getting swept in the first round by the eighth seed Columbus Blue Jackets, seeding doesn't mean shit in NHL playoffs, which is awesome. That's awesome. I would love to, I love seeing upsets. Now, the NBA playoffs uh, are shaping up. There are a couple more series that need to wrap up. 
Actually, no. Uh, yeah, no. Cut two more series to wrap up. You have Golden State and Los Angeles, who I believe play tonight, and Houston and Utah probably play tonight. Both those series, Golden State and Houston, both lead those their respected series, three games to one, and uh, also so th- actually that those two, and then excuse me, those two and Denver San Antonio, uh, which last night Denver completely routed San Antonio and that series has really taken a huge turn because a couple games ago the Spurs were up 19 and the Nuggets ended up coming back to win and they've won point differential wise they've won every single quarter since the third quarter of game three I think it was or game four game four Because the Spurs were up 2-1. They had a 19-point lead. The Nuggets come all the way back to tie it or to take the lead and win that game, to tie the series at 2-2, and then win this game as well. Or last night, they blow the Spurs out. So they're up three games to two. Houston's up three games to one against Utah, and Golden State is up three games to one against Los Angeles. The winner of the Nuggets and San Antonio series will play Portland. And then the winner of Golden State and the Clippers in Houston and Utah will play each other in the second round. The matchups that are set are all in the East because the East was kind of uh, just a blowout. The Bucks swept the Pistons four games to none. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Boston swept Indiana four games to none. And Philly and Toronto defeated... Philly defeated the Nets four games to one and Toronto defeated the Magic four games to one. Both series which saw the lower seed win game one. Brooklyn defeating Philadelphia and Orlando defeating Toronto on their home courts. And then the higher seeds, the favorites, just rattled off four straight wins to wrap up the series. So Toronto and Philadelphia are going to play each other. And Milwaukee and Boston will play each other. Both series should be very, very entertaining. Uh, I think, I, I mean, I think Toronto and Milwaukee win both those series, but Boston, I feel like Boston has a better shot of winning their series against Milwaukee than Philadelphia does against Toronto. But going back to the first, the first round, that elimination game with the Bucks Pistons, Giannis Antetokounmpo had like a couple highlights in that game that were just absolutely unreal. And we know Giannis is nuts. I picked him to be the MVP this year. He's a cheat code. Most people know this. But the one thing I wanted to talk about was Blake Griffin. Because Blake Griffin, he was he was pretty much playing on one leg. His knee was super fucked up. Right? He he got onto the onto the court and was just he could barely run up and down the court. And he was in there. Defending Giannis, defending Brooke Lopez, defending anyone he needed to defend these big dudes on one leg. I mean, he it was a it was a Herculean effort by by Blake Griffin, and I tip my cap to him because he is an amazing player. He has completely changed his game, and 
the Pistons are just... I mean, they've been one of those franchises for a while now that just they they don't seem like they can they can catch a break. Uh, and Blake is he tried his best. He tried his best, and he was you saw he was out the first two games of this of the series, and Detroit just they didn't even have a shot. Zero percent shot of winning. They got throttled the first two games of the series. He comes back for game three, and suddenly they're in it to the very end of the game. They still lose, unfortunately. So I think Blake really came in to try and not get swept, but unfortunately, a uh, a one-legged Blake Griffin wasn't enough to to help the Pistons get over that that hump. But it certainly inspired a lot of guys. Reggie Jackson. Had a couple of good games as well. Andre Drummond was essentially neutralized by Milwaukee's big men. But I feel bad for Blake Griffin and the Pistons because they tried. They just, tough matchup, man. Very, very tough matchup. Boston sweeping Indiana. I mean, Indiana was playing with house money. They get, they made it as a as the fifth seed in the East when they didn't even, ha- they didn't have their best player for, like, what was it, three quarters of the year? crazy they still made it this far with having a good record learn winning in the regular season but in a in a playoff series not great to have your uh your best player out what are you gonna do they'll be back next year in full force and I'm sure the Pacers will be a much bigger threat if everyone stays healthy of course I think Houston actually I like Utah a lot they might sneak out another win to push it to six games. But I think Golden State closes out the Clippers. And I'd like to see San Antonio come back and rattle off two wins to take that series from Denver. But after everything that's been happening, I think Denver's finally start to click. You know, they struggle in those those early games of the series. I think mostly it was just uh, getting out Mike Malone getting out coached by Popovich and having a super, super young team. But now they seem like they've they've found a groove. So Denver will probably come away with that that win there in the series, unfortunately. So let's talk about Damian Lillard and how ice cold he is. And then we can move on to other news. Damian Lillard Last night, games tied, I think it was 115 to 115. He pulls up from 30, a step back three point shot from like 37 feet out. Pretty, it, with the step back, it was about 40 feet. It was like a 40 foot jumper. Cashes it. And gives us, I mean, this is an audio format, so go ahead and look it up because I can't describe it to you, but gives us an all time meme picture in the process. And just proves to everyone that he is one of the baddest motherfuckers in the entire NBA. He is ice cold assassin. There aren't many other people that you could say that about in the NBA. Kyrie, maybe. Uh, LeBron 
in recent years during you know the Cavs championship run and even uh, the year after that where they ended up getting throttled by uh, Golden State. When, he, when just him, though, that three-year stretch where he just led the Cavs to the finals back to back to back. Those those runs and the championship run, assassin, you could say. Um, but there aren't many people who I would pick over Damian Lillard to take a game-winning shot. He is phenomenal, and he goes off for a 50-bomb in that game. Uh, he played for three straight quarters because... First of all, he was playing with a chip on his shoulder because Russell Westbrook and him have been talking smack back and forth to each other the entire series. And Damian Lillard goes and plays three straight quarters, also because C.J. McCollum got into foul trouble early. So Lillard pretty much, he was like, fine, I'll do it myself. And he was unstoppable in the first half. Second half, Oklahoma City comes back and has to maintain the lead, and then Portland comes back and ties it. Dame hits the game-winning shot. I mean, it was unbelievable. A classic. We saw the 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 resurrection of the classic Russell Westbrook game because he went, I think, 13 for 31 shooting. Meanwhile, Paul George, he had 22 points on like 13 to 31 shooting. Paul George had like 36 points on uh, like 16 of 22 shooting. So, Paul George, way more efficient. Classic Russell Westbrook back when he was playing with Durant kind of days. Felt good to watch. Um, I have actually really grown to love Russell Westbrook. Since Durant left. That being said, he needs to take, he needs to like reinvent his jumper over the summer because it's gone. And I don't know why, but it's gone. He also needs to maybe even just in general stop taking jumpers unless he's wide open. I mean, if they're going to leave him wide open, take the shot. But he can't be taking, you know, contested three-pointers or whatever anymore. Just drive to the rack. And the one thing that was interesting that a lot of people kind of didn't appreciate um, was the post-game presser where Paul George pretty much said, he's like, that's a bad shot, man. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That's a bad shot. Uh, But he made it, so whatever. But that's a bad shot. And... It's weird because Lillard pretty much, I mean, the first, I saw uh, a still today of the first game, the first shot of the series versus the last shot of the series, and it's the same spot. I mean, Damian Lillard, first shot of the series, pulls up from that logo on uh, the side of the court, and that's pretty much where he took the game-winning shot, just a little bit to the left of it. But it, it was the same distance, and he drilled both of them. So he, it's not like he just took a step back and heaved that up. He practices those. You know, if Steph Curry took that shot, 
I don't know if he said this or I don't I don't think he said this, but I think I, I was listening to something earlier today and they said this. If Steph Curry took that shot, we all be ooing and eyeing about how deep his range is. I think Damian Lillard is for sure underappreciated. And I think now, after him single-handedly defeating the Thunder and not talking trash, well, he talked trash to Westbrook, but not as much as Westbrook did to him. So him kind of just, you know, letting his play do his talking and being that, that kind of assassin, nuts. I think I think Damian Lilly gets he has to get a lot of respect, man. He is one of the coldest man mans in the NBA. Like for real. He is phenomenal. Other Suns uh, Suns news. <laughs> Other NBA news is the Suns fired their head coach, Igor Kakashkov, who was there for one season. So that means Devin Booker will have I love Devin Booker, so that means he'll have his fifth head coach in five years. Um, this is a tweet from Kevin O'Connor, an NBA uh, writer and analyst and all that stuff. The Suns fired their coach and GM in consecutive Octobers, picked Aiton over Doncic after hiring Doncic's national team coach, Kokoshkov, fired him in less than a year, and have made countless short-sighted decisions that stem from their Mad King owner. Nothing bad the Suns do is a shocker. Unfortunate, but true. Unfortunate, but true. Uh, listen. <laughs> that part, I honestly, I didn't know. I didn't know that part until I read that tweet that Igor Kokoshkov was the Slovenian head coach. And they still picked DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic. I mean, that's no knock on DeAndre Ayton. He is he's a good player. You know, he's a double double machine. But like yeah, what the Suns are they they are the laughing stock in the NBA. Um actually, I don't know. They're up there with the Knicks. Depending on what the Knicks do this summer, I think uh solidifies if the if the Knicks mess up this free agency and or this draft. Uh, I think they become the de facto laughing stocks in the NBA. But right now, the the Suns are maybe even worse. Uh, I don't like the Knicks. Even don't have this. They don't even go firing and hiring as much as the Suns do. Real quick on the new recruiting class for next year's college hoops: the number one point guard in the country, Cole Anthony. Shout out New York. Uh, the son of former NBA player Greg Anthony committed to go play basketball at UNC. Let's go. I'm very hyped about that. UNC gets their first really like prolific offensive recruit in in a in a while. Uh obviously, you know, last year they got um Kobe White is was a guy who emerged late and now is probably going to be a top 10 draft pick or at least a lottery pick. He played his way into that into that stock. He wasn't that well-known uh, coming out of college or coming out of high school. UNC, of course, they got Nasir Little, 
who was a a top five recruit, but Nasir Little, not a crazy offensive player, known mostly for his rebounding, you know, high motor, excellent defense. He didn't even start for UNC. You know, he came off the bench. So for them to go out and I mean, Kobe White leaving now, so for them to go out and get Cole Anthony, who is uh, just an offensive machine, is is great. I'm very excited for next year, and I'm glad that Duke didn't just snag up everybody. Uh, James Wiseman, I think, is the number one overall recruit. I forget his name, but he's committed to go to play at Memphis with Penny Hardaway because he's from Memphis, and Penny recruited him OD heavy. So he went to go to play in Memphis, and then I think Duke has a couple of top 10 recruits as well. Uh, but finally, Cole Anthony... He actually announced it on Get Up, ESPN's uh, show in the morning. The NFL Draft is tomorrow, Thursday night. Um, I'm going to watch as much of it as I can. I'll definitely be able to see, you know, because the Giants have such a high pick, I'll be able to see what their pick is. Um, Avengers is at 1030. Me and my friends are going to see that. So I don't know how many picks I'll be able to see. I'm sure I'll be able to see enough, but for sure we'll do a recap of the first round of some notable picks for me. You know, I'm not going to go through every team because that would take a while. But definitely recap the first round on next week's podcast as well as the Avengers, which I'm going to see three times (laughs) over the course of the opening five days, whatever it is. I'm going to see it tomorrow night. Friday night and then Tuesday night. Um, tomorrow night I'm going to see it with my friends around, you know, where I live. And then Friday night I'm going to see it with my girlfriend. And then Tuesday night I'm going to see it with a bunch of kids I went to school with because they wanted to go see it. Total scrubs. I love them, but total scrubs for going to see it on Tuesday when it comes out Thursday. You're nuts. Absolutely nuts. It'll be my third time seeing it. It'll be their first. Insanity. I couldn't even imagine waiting that long. Anyway, yeah, NFL draft on Thursday. Other NFL news, a couple of dramatic things that happened. But first, today, Big Ben agreeing to a two-year extension through 2021 with the Steelers. And I'm laughing because it's absolutely ridiculous. He has one year left on his contract. The Steelers signed him to a two-year extension, like I said, running through 2021. Um, this will backfire probably. I I mean I don't see Big Ben having three good years left. Uh, it's risky to say the least. Um, Marshawn Lynch retires again, so Beast Mode hanging it up for a second time. Uh his production and just usage has gone down since he unretired and came back to play for the Raiders, but now everything is kind of up in the air, a mess for the Raiders right now, and I'm sure Gruden didn't really have any plans for a running back Marshawn's age, regardless if he's still, you know, an absolute monster, which he is. But Marshawn decided to hang it up. Good move, in my opinion. Now the drama part. 
NFL East drama, coincidentally, with the Phillies and the Giants. Donovan McNabb, the former great Philadelphia Eagle quarterback who I despised growing up, made comments about Carson Wentz that some people didn't take too kindly. Uh, Lane Johnson in particular. But McNabb pretty much said, Wentz needs to, this isn't a direct quote, quote, this is me paraphrasing, Uh, Wentz needs to get out of the second round within the next few years, otherwise the Eagles should probably consider someone else at quarterback or drafting someone else. You saw, and he uh, he goes on to talk about, you know, Nick Foles came and led them to the Super Bowl in the playoffs, and uh, he proved that he was able to win uh, early on in the season. So pretty much, Donovan McNabb said, "Listen, if Wentz can't get it done within the next couple of years, the Eagles should probably switch it up." Which isn't, I mean, it's not the craziest thing to say. It's not the craziest thing to say. You see, you know, Nick Foles had great success in Philly when he did play, and Carson Wentz came back last year. Of course, he was. It didn't seem like he was fully healthy. Uh, yeah, he wasn't fully healthy. We know he wasn't. But if he pretty much, he was saying if he, not even talent wise, if he can't lead the Eagles past the the second round, but health wise. You know, he hasn't been healthy. He keeps getting injured. It is concerning to a point. And, you know, as the years progress more and more, if it keeps happening, it'll grow even more concerning. And then I think the Phillies will have to make a decision 100%. And he came out and he didn't apologize, but he clarified what he meant. Talking about, you know, everyone's always under the microscope, blah, 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 blah. It's tough being under evaluation every single day of your life, yada, yada, whatever. He didn't have to do that, but he did because, you know, he probably still likes Philly and doesn't want people to think as, he's like an old, bitter quarterback or whatever. But, I mean, McNabb raises a good point. You have this this young stud in Carson Wentz who his rookie year was or his second year, was an an MVP candidate. He tears his ACL. Nick Foles comes in. They win the Super Bowl. He's out the first few weeks of the of the next season. And then he plays a couple weeks. He gets he he messes up his back. I mean, these aren't like little injuries like he like pulls his quad or sprains an ankle, you know a rib or whatever. Nothing that's too concerning, broken bones and all that. He like he like broke his back and then he tore his ACL and broke his back. They're not injuries to take lightly. So this is if this is a guy that just year after year is gonna have an injury that signs like sidelines him for multiple weeks at a time, then yeah. I think as the years do progress, you'll have to try and maybe consider drafting a quarterback. The other NFC East team, of course, is the Giants because they are a joke. Um, Even though I love them, they're a joke. They're really pissing me off. So Gettleman and Odo Beckham have beef, obviously. And I don't, I mean, 
I don't know why, but Gettleman keeps inferring in in press conferences and alluding to the fact that Odell Beckham was a cancer in the locker room and he had to be removed and that is why they traded him. Odell Beckham says, if I'm a cancer because I want to win that badly and I'm on a losing team, then yeah, fine, I'm a cancer. He expressed vehemently that he overwhelmingly expressed the fact that he wanted to win so goddamn bad in New York, and they just weren't winning. And he uh, you know, talked about the quote that Gettleman gave, saying, you know, we didn't sign Odell Beckham to trade him. And Odell said, well, you don't get married to get divorced, but sometimes it just happens. Which I thought was, was very funny, but also accurate. And... Odell also went on to say how, you know, no one in the locker room thinks he's a cancer. No one hated him. That was They had like a brotherhood in that locker room, and it was nothing but love. And something else that was interesting was that the last four games that Odell was sidelined with an injury, well, he asked to be on the sideline with his quote-unquote brothers, you know, his teammates, and Shermer said no. Uh, it, it's very interesting. I mean, you can go and... and Look all look about all the quotes he said. It was a, a big long Twitter rant that he went on late at night. But bottom line, what I really captured from this is that the Giants just fucked everything up with Odell Beckham Jr. and completely made that relationship just toxic. And it was sad. It's sad because I love Odell Beckham Jr. I I harbored no ill will towards Odell Beckham Jr. He is. He was one of my favorite players on the Giants. I would say probably since Tiki Barber, Michael Strahan, Aaron Ross. <laughs> That's like a half joke. I really did love Aaron Ross when he was on the Giants. And Corey Webster. But Odell, easily the most electric player that the Giants have ever had on the offensive side of the ball. You know, obviously Lawrence Taylor, a couple other defensive gods that the Giants have had. But on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think they've ever had someone as electric as Odell Beckham Jr., personality-wise and on the field. But I will never forget the, the memories he gave me as a child. And by a child, I mean as a late teenager, early 20s guy. All right, we got some baseball news and then wrap it up with a little bit of... Uh, Maybe a little Game of Thrones talk. I don't know. We'll see if we can if we can fit it in there. There's a lot to talk about with that show, so that's why I don't really try and go too in-depth with it, but we'll see. Yankees and Mets. The Yankees are riddled with injuries, as I said previously, uh, last week maybe, or maybe two weeks ago, whatever. It's getting worse. Uh, Aaron Judge goes down on to the... IL with a left oblique strain, I believe it was. I don't know if it was left or right, but it was an oblique strain. Uh, so he lands on the DL, and now there are guys that are just, you know, the Yankees are just, they're scrapping. They're scrapping together. They're trying to to get something done, um, and it's working. I mean, the, the backups that the Yankees have are 
they're they're carrying the load. And we should have known that this was coming uh, when Brian Cashman said before the season started that we have too many outfielders or the Yankees have too many outfielders. That's that was, you know, that was like saying in a movie, you know, two uh oh, I only have 2 weeks till my retirement and then you, you know, get shot. <laughs> that's that's what that was the equivalent to. It was it was doomed from the beginning. Cuz now we're on our hind the Yankees are on their hind legs. You have uh I think his name's Gio Urshela. He's third baseman Kyle Higashioka. Uh, is catching. Clint Frazier is absolutely going off. He is a monster. And he said earlier today, if I could find the direct quote, which I can't right now, but he said earlier today he has a, I think it's a strain, and he said our IL is too stacked up right now, so I'm good. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm good. I'll play through it, which is what I love. I love to hear it, Clint. I love to hear that, Clint Frazier, and he has been raking. Uh, he's hitting dingers. He's driving in runs. He's been fantastic. Uh, Mike Tauchman, Tauchman, not sure how to pronounce the last name. He had a monster couple games against the Red Sox. Uh, and we just brought up this kid, Mike Ford, who he went yard for the first time in his pinstripe career the other night against the Angels. I think the Yankees are going for the sweep against the Angels tonight. Uh, but the Yankees, I mean, they're finding ways to win. Finding ways to win. I believe they're 13-10 and 10 now. Just uh, a few games back of the Tampa Bay Rays, who I believe are 16-8, and eight, something like that. So about three or four games back from the Rays. They're gaining traction, which is all you can ask. You know, just with everything that's happening, just try and keep winning. That's all you can ask from them. Uh, the, the starting pitching has been phenomenal. Domingo Herman has been outstanding. So is James Paxton. Jay Happ has to pick it up because he has been struggling. CC is all reliable. I love that man. Uh, the bullpen has actually been shaky, which is concerning. Not sure how the Yankees are going to address that going forward, but there are guys like Chad Green who just they get in there and they struggle. So the bullpen has been concerning. For the Yankees, which it wasn't supposed to be. The bullpen was supposed to be, you know, pitchers go six innings and then the bullpen comes and locks it down for three. That was the the formula going into this year, and it just hasn't been the case so far. But early May, middle May, I, I don't even know about middle May, but early May, I think Stanton Tulowitzki is supposed to be coming back. I'm not entirely sure. But May, we should be getting a couple guys back. I think Severino now had a setback, so he's not going to come back till maybe June. I don't know what's up with Batansis, what his timetable is. There's just a bunch of guys right now. I think Stanton's uh, Sanchez is supposed to be coming back as well. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Or the, time t the official timetable for everybody. But hopefully... By the middle of May, you know, two, three weeks, we got, or the Yankees get some people back because they need it. The Mets, on the other hand, coincidentally, the Mets starting pitching has been a little inconsistent. DeGrom got knocked around once. Syndergaard's been knocked around a couple times, and he's the real big, I feel like he might be a little bit 
you know, pause for concern there. He might be a uh, cause for concern there, Syndergaard, because he's just been a little inconsistent. And he's got smacked around a couple times. You know, Steven Matz had one atrocious game where he just... I think, I think it was against the Nationals or might have been the Phillies where he, he didn't get out of the first inning. It was against the Phillies. It was at Philadelphia. And he couldn't get out of the first inning. Didn't even record an out. Not great. But he did have a start the other night where he went six scoreless. And was, you know, what he had been to that prior start. And it was also against Philly, ironically, I think. I think it was against Philly. <laughs> Uh, but he seemed to bounce back. But, you know, a couple of these guys, these these big aces, had a couple of a struggling starts. Zach Wheeler was phenomenal last night. So you have those four guys who really need to lock it down with DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, and Wheeler. And then <laughs> Jason Vargas, man. DeGrom's on the IL, by the way, but he should be making his next start, I believe, uh, because they were panicking. He's get, uh, What a mess that was, the DeGrom situation. Is he going to get an MRI? Oh, he doesn't need an MRI. Just get the MRI anyway. Oh, he doesn't need it. He got it. And then there was nothing wrong. So he, he should be making his return. Uh, but Jason Vargas needs to... He needs to... GTFO, man. I, I, I just, I don't see any reasoning as to why the Mets haven't signed Dallas Keuchel. I just, I really just don't see any reasoning at all as to why that hasn't, that move hasn't been made yet. It's mind-boggling. Other bright spots. Offensively, though, the Mets, I mean, they've been scoring runs. <laughs> they've been scoring runs. That was their big problem last year. They had great pitching, just couldn't score any runs. They've been scoring runs. So far this year. Uh, Jeff McNeil has been a stud. Wilson Ramos has been an RBI machine. Conforto's swinging it pretty well. And then, of course, Pete Alonzo has been the early favorite for NL Rookie of the Year. He, I mean, every home run I feel like I see this kid hits is just an absolute seed, straight line drive into dead center field over the wall. It's nuts. He hits the he sprays the ball to all parts of the field. He had an RBI double. Uh, I think it, might, it was the last night or the other or the night before that, where it was a pitch on the outside corner of the plate, and he just kind of flicked his flicked his bat out there, hit it off the end of the bat, right down the first baseline for an RBI double. And then, like I said, Ramos RBI machine goes and drives him in with a single up the middle after that. So Peter Alonso has been everything and more, I think, the Mets that we're expecting. He's been phenomenal. Oh, and as I was talking about the Yankees, here's an alert. Gary Sanchez back from the IL, and Chad Green sent down to AAA. So there goes two of my answers, what I was talking about. Chad Green is getting roughed up, and I don't know when Sanchez is going to be back. He's back. So good news for the Yankees there. And the Mets, of course, I said, still off to a good. They're, you know, they main they're maintaining consistency, and that was the problem. Obviously, last year they got off to that super hot start and then just completely collapsed. Um, it is still April. It's still the beginning of the year, and 
I would like to see the Mets maintain this consistency that they've had, at least offensively. Because um, you know the pitch, I feel like the pitching, whatever kinks that Syndergaard seems to be working out or any of the other pitchers, those will work themselves out. Because uh, they all, all are all very talented, you know, phenomenal pitchers, besides Vargas. But those first four guys are all fantastic. So any kinks or things that they uh, got smacked up with early in the year, I think they'll be fine. Offensively, I'd love to see the Mets be more be consistent through the month of May because that's where I think they bombed last year. They uh, had like four wins in May and June combined. Terrible. Game of Thrones, and we'll wrap it up. I'm not going to talk much about Game of Thrones, but it is episode three, the Battle of Winterfell, hour and 20 minutes. All the episodes are about an hour and 20 minutes, episode three, four, five, and six, before the series ends. But this is the Battle of Winterfell coming up this Sunday. Uh, so a very hectic week. You got Avengers Endgame, all these playoffs, and then Battle of Winterfell on Sunday. It's going to be a bloodbath because everybody is in Winterfell right now. It's the most characters that will be on screen at once since the pilot of the show. I'm not sure if that happened last episode or now with the Night King. It's official that it's the most characters. Um, But it'll be intense. A lot of dudes are going to die. I don't. I don't know how it ends up. Uh, I'm starting to subscribe a little bit to the theory that this is the end of the Night King after this episode. And then the next three episodes, four, five, and six, are about the the turning on each other and the battle that ensues for the Iron Throne. After all that happens, you know, after... The main, main characters, you know, the Tier 1 characters survive. Tier 2, Tier 3 characters are all gone, I think, at the Battle of Winterfell. The Tier 1 characters, so the Starks, Danny, uh, Cersei, Jaime, all those guys, I, Tyrion, I, the Lannisters, the Starks, uh, I think all live. Everyone else, I think, is probably dead with the exception of a couple of people, maybe. I don't really know. We'll see. But uh, I, I do. Am, I am subscribing to that theory a little bit that this is the end of the Night King. And then the last three episodes are just uh, everyone. It, it, it getting real awkward in Winterfell because everyone's there and everyone wants to fight to the Iron Throne. And John just told Danny that he's technically the rightful heir because his name's Aegon Targaryen, blah, 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 all that good stuff. We'll see. I wouldn't mind seeing that if they just flat out Night King, poof, he's gone. And then the rest of it is just the battle to the throne. Or maybe episode, even if it's episode three and episode four, and at the end of episode four, the Night King is gone, and then they get five and six to kind of wrap up the rest of the the conflict. But it's just, there's so much they could have done with this last season, but they just didn't, six episodes isn't enough, man. I don't care how long the episodes are. It's just not enough. If they real, I, I I understand now 
I know why the episodes last season and this season were cut short. And it's because they just cost so god so much goddamn money to make. Right? The CGI to make these guys or to make the the bad guys, you know, the entire White Walker army, the Night King, Viserion, the undead dragon, the dragons for Danny with Rhaegal and uh Drogon. Those two dragons. I mean, they weren't even in episode two. And it's just all these guys, they take it's so much money to produce an episode that they literally they probably literally couldn't afford ten episodes of that shit. And I can only imagine how much episode 3 costs, which is just going to be a huge CGI mess with all the blood and fighting and undead army and all that. Insanity. Very much looking forward to that. Going to be a a very hectic week. Um, Could be very, very cool or very, very sad, depending on how Thursday and Sunday end, which I'm assuming probably won't be the happiest of endings. But we'll see, and we'll discuss it all next Wednesday. So have a good weekend, everyone. Enjoy your NHL playoffs, your NBA playoffs, Avengers Endgame. Definitely go and see that. Game of Thrones, if you watch it on Sunday, enjoy, even though you'll probably be heartbroken because all your favorite characters are going to be dead. But other than that, enjoy your weekend. I'll talk to you guys next Wednesday.